Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast in your Week in Sports Cars episode brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers in TorontoMotorsports.com. Also brought to you by my tired brother, that being Graham <laughs> Goodwin, uh, who I was able to, for a brief period, listen and watch uh, a certain wow. little motor race over the, uh, over the weekend here. And I heard a voice that sounded remarkably like yours. So, come to be me. Come to be yes, me. Yes. So, where tell folks where you are in the world, and okay. before we get into our usual listener-driven Q and A, we might do a little bit of uh, conversating, discussiating about a, that certain motor race that just yes, we're making them up here as usual. Uh, discuss a little motor race that you indeed presided over on comms with Martin Haven and some little short person who likes Walker shortbread. It does indeed. It's uh, rather more the tonics. It's the tonic stuff. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm in Manama, which is the capital of the Kingdom of Bahrain for the very first back-to-back uh, FIA World Endurance Championship races. Uh, one of these two races replacing the the uh, intended race in Japan, and let's hope that's the last time we have to duck out for health control reasons. Um, uh, any FIWC race, but six hours of racing yesterday, six more hours on Saturday, and for those that are slightly confused about the the day date uh, mix on that one, Friday Saturday is the weekend uh, here in the Gulf region. Uh, Sunday today is a full working day, so um, we've got a bit of downtime. Uh, time for a few meetings, lots going on in the background, lots and lots uh, coming together for 23 and 24 uh, amongst the players in our paddock in the FI World Endurance Championship. Um, I will apologise, MP, if you did watch and listen to the race, because it wasn't the best. Um, far from it, in fact. Uh, it had its moments in a couple of the program classes, but uh, GT Pro, I think, warrants some explanation, and uh, Hypercar. The Toyotas drove away uh, somewhat, and with no Glickenhaus uh, to go out to play in Bahrain for either race, and we're hearing now that it's likely that Jim might well bring out his toys for uh, Sebring, uh, the cavalry needs to arrive. Uh, but uh, it wasn't the best. I think we're going to get a much, much better race next weekend. The eight-hour format uh, racing into darkness under the lights here uh, at Bahrain, and the fact with this being a flyaway race, that perhaps there was a degree of conservatism around, uh, you know, just people being careful with the machinery. Um, I'm sure we will get on to talking about GTE Pro balance of performance and all that, uh, all that great stuff. Uh, but the GT Pro field, four cars, to be blunt, that was a disgraceful race, uh, utterly disgraceful. Well, I guess I didn't get a chance to see all of the disgrace. Did, however, <laughs> get to watch... I mean, there were a couple of drives, right? Um, what, the the last qualifying, the Japanese driver in the uh, starting dead last, whose name I don't have in front of me, but uh, there was a bit of an impressive march forward there. I know Ben Keating oh. did Ben Keating Tono thing. Tono Bifuji is the man. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I mean, yes, he did, and won the race, yep. There were certainly some some spirited drives to be found within the general framework, but 
Yeah, uh, I was able to listen to the majority of the race. Granted, uh, for what I did not see, it was a busy day uh, doing mundane things like moving toolboxes and pit carts and a lot of uh, racing-related things on the home front. But, yeah, uh, is it a surprise? Is it a surprise that end-of-year getting to, I guess, the most crucial points of the year, if you want to call it that, either protecting the ones you have uh, or not trying to give up uh, anything by making any mistakes and whatnot. Is it a surprise at all that other than maybe the opening lap or two, where I think LMP2 is really where the most shuffling took place of uh, starting positions at least, is there any surprise that it did feel like it was a little more safe than, than we had hoped in terms of the overall approach to driving. Cause that, like you mentioned is what stood out to me as a, Oh, well it, it was a motor race. It just wasn't as much competition as I'd hoped. Yeah. I, I don't think that's unfair. I mean, we had a great start from particularly from Guido van der Gaard, yes. up five positions <laughs> to lead the class out, out of turn one. Great stuff for racing team Redland. Good stuff from our Polish friends too. at into your competition. They made a bit of a, faux pas later in the race by putting uh, the wrong tyres or too many tyres uh, out of their allocation onto the car. And got six a cars, that, or six tyres bolted onto uh, the car. That was impressive. <laughs> yeah. So uh, they, they got a four-minute stop and hold, but uh, and they also had door problems. Well, that was just Alex Brundle being friendly, wanting to wave to the fans, I think was, right? I think it was. So, you know, he, he, was, he, was, um, he was in spirited form as well, so that was great. Uh, Jota Sport, um, up for the cup and up for this championship very much in the mix WRT uh, in the mix as well it, LMP2 has been a really weird one in the FI World Endurance Championship this year we've seen absolutely dominant performances the odd thing is we've seen dominant performances from three different teams uh, from, from Jota, from United Autosports and from Team WRT and there's been times when whilst the other teams in those big three and it's the Interpol guys that are knocking on the door of that uh, whilst there's been times when the other teams of that big three have been closer it just seems sometimes that those three teams can produce a performance that puts a gap in that, that rather flatters the effort we saw it from united i believe at spa and uh, we saw it from jota at portimao we saw it from wrc uh, at le mans and again uh, yesterday evening so uh, the eight hour race it was a surprise too by the way because jota had absolutely dominated preceding lmp2 to that point and tom blomquist who i think might be heading your way uh, next season um, Tom Blomqvist uh, putting in, uh, I think, a, a career-defining level of performance for that, that that young man. And if he's not on people's, uh, you know, wish list for what comes next in sports cars, I suspect after uh, the, after yesterday, after the last two or two or three days worth of performances, he may very well be now. So lots to savour in terms of the kind of. I don't know, the move is bush, but not the main course. The main course was not the best WC race uh, I've I've witnessed. It wasn't even, frankly, in the top 70. Well, there you go. Well, speaking of, there you go. Where do we go, Graham Goodwin, since you are the official selector of the categories that we uh, choose to partake in with listener Q&A? 
Well, let's kick off uh, this week. Let's do it with Wek Aslam's Elzaneko. Let's let's continue that that conversation. Um, and this is, generally speaking, where you start to kind of uh, put stuff my way. So I'm uh, I'm in listening and answering mode, MP. Here comes a flaming catapult of questions. Starting off with our pal John Schultz inquire. Oh, actually, let me go back. You mentioned certain Mr. Jim Glickenhaus, hoping that we will see the SCG 007's return to WEC competition soon. I can tell you that of all the emails I have received this morning, the one that was most unexpected came from James Glickenhaus with a title headline of the C in SCG. (laughs) And so I'm just going to read the opening little bit of this to you because this is one of the many reasons we love Jim Glickenhaus. Uh, He is a multifaceted man, gives zero Fs about anything. And so what did he send the day after a WC race where his cars did not participate? Was it a familiar rah-rah type post press release saying, well, they sucked and we're going to beat them and go get, no, I'm very proud that the C in SEG, my wife, Meg Cameron, has stood up for the truth by defending some of Rye, that would be Rye, New York, where they live, Rye's candidates from damaging disinformation. The candidate, in my opinion, would make a terrible Rye City Council member, and I strongly urge Rye voters, and this now goes to all caps, to vote for Josh Cohn for mayor, and Julie Souza, Ben Stacks, and Bill Henderson for Rye City Council. Uh, We close, and granted, it goes on goes on quite a ways but uh we'll close here with jim's missive that the westchester county fair campaigns committee has found two statements by lisa tannenbaum candidate for rye city council to be false all caps and unfair all caps i love it i love the fact that being as much of his own man as he is jim decided that you know what all those people on our email distribution list grave goodwin (laughs) who are pretty much focused on sports cars, race cars, Baja boots, and other things that we do involving four wheels and motor racing. Damn it. They're going to wake up Sunday morning and hear my truth about my home city's council and voting and truth in campaigning. And that is what I want this distribution list to understand. Signed, James Glickenhouse, October 31st, 2021, Rye, New York. Uh Oh, by the way, I'm, I got it as well. So I'm here in Bahrain and being lobbied about uh, local city council elections in New York, which is <laughs> even better. Oh, by the way, there was there was one other thing I I should I should say because um, we can't let this one pass without saying happy birthday, happy birthday, happy 80th birthday to Derek Bell. Oh, uh, absolutely! Today, as we record this, which is just you know Derek, one of the just the most delightful individuals in our fantastic sports and uh, 80 is a great age to reach and still be punching hard Derek and uh, happy birthday old friend yeah indeed so anyways that that is our official Scuderia Cameron Glickenhaus update for this episode of the weekend sports cars and if you're curious about Rye New York politics we know who to go to going forward so uh continuing in the more centrally focused WEC Aslam Elms ACO <laughs> category, John Schultz says, what other changes do you expect to see in the Porsche factory lineup following the extremely justified signing of Yifei Ye 
And do you consider the signing of Ye to be a change in mentality for Porsche, given his relatively young age? And he will have Porsche veteran Sasha Masson working with him yeah. to help develop his uh, his talents. Well, I should explain where this story kind of came from. Uh, the, uh, there is always a test day, sometimes several test days, in the days following the European Le Mans series at Portimao, their season finale. And that was no different this time. I was on a plane here, uh, but I did have a couple of people who reported in some happenings. I've still got some news to share uh, from there. That was also, by the way, uh, MP, the test where we caught the picture of the confirmation that WeatherTech Racing will be coming back to GTD uh, because Cooper McNeil was there with the 2022 car with its uh, very obvious green wing end plates that de designate he's not doing GTD Pro, he's doing GTD. Now, we, we knew that was his preference after the balance performance, blah, blah, blah. Yifei Ye was there testing a P2 car with driver coaching from, you're completely correct, Porsche Junior driver coach, uh, Sasha Masson, why could we report with confidence that a Porsche deal of some description was heading his way? Because Porsche chose to do a photo call at the paddock. And then I believe at the final turn and in, in between track sessions with Yifei uh, wearing Porsche factory overalls. So sorry, Porsche, but um, that's the way it was written. Uh, what's confirmed now, by the way, deservedly so, is that he is going to be the Porsche Motorsport Asia Pacific nominated driver um, for 2022. Uh, I think that's good news. I think it shows uh, willingness uh, of Porsche corporately to cast their net wider. I think it's smart. He is gifted and talented. And if you've never had an opportunity, MP, to speak to your phone, I suspect the answer is that you have have not. Haven't. You've got a pleasant, pleasant surprise to come. Professional polite, engaging. Um, the Yarni family, Neil Yarni and his father, who manage you for Ye, have been looking after him. He's been living with that family since he came into Europe to pursue his motorsport career. And all I can say is, on the human side, they've done a damn good job. Amen. Why don't we go to Nikolai B? A lot of questions here Ooh. in the Michelin Le Mans Cup. Your specialty <laughs> in the sport nobody knows more than you okay maybe somebody uh really enjoyed the pilot episode of the graham goodwin podcast last week thanks nikolai uh that's kind of you to say <laughs> um following the mlmc race here's an idea for the aco and lmem regulation roulette different regs on yeah. the wheel and place of numbers race control will spin the wheel every 20 minutes whatever it lands on comes into effect um yeah. So there's another one I know yeah. every pain below. Yeah. I did have a bit of a rant on there. Yeah, I did. I did have a bit of a rant. So to, to fill in the gaps for anybody that doesn't follow the uh, the miracle of modern motorsport that is the two-hour Michelin Le Mans Cup uh, race. Uh, big favorite, by the way. Always a great race with GT3 uh, and LMP3 cars on the same track. The grid dominated in the numerical terms by LMP3. Uh, we had yet another race where... With a mid-race incident or an early race incident, the team's split strategy. Um, I have and read the regulations and regulation updates um, between races. It's part of my job. Um, but we had sought some clarification after some oddness in an earlier race this season um, about this second pit stop, that second mandatory pit stop. Um, because of the change in LMP3, the cars cannot make the distance 
on uh, one fuel stop. And there's an emerging story about that as well, by the way, which I've not yet written, but I think we may have a question about uh, later in the show. Um, the regulation is clear that there are certain things you can do in that pit stop and a driver change is not one of them. Uh, that I've miscalled that for a race earlier this year. We sought a clarification, did not get one. Uh, and then later, uh, and then this last weekend's race, it happened again. And I'll tell you right now, having asked the question, having repeatedly asked the question, um, having checked the bulletin boards that I'd got access to through my channels, couldn't find it, couldn't find it. Would you like to guess who gave me the correct bulletin? Martin Haven. Take a guess. No, no. It's someone close and dear to our hearts in the current um, Weekend Sports Cars family. Daniel oh. Summersgill did. No way. Yep, he did. So LMEM didn't give it to me. The ACO didn't give it to me. The Michelin Mon Cup didn't give it to me. Uh, Daniel Summerskill found that bulletin, and I had a bit of a rant on air about it. And correctly so. My job is to explain. We failed to do that correctly. We miscalled it again, and I had a bit of a paddy about it. Uh, the reason why I was particularly irked is because we had uh, specifically asked to be put on, on the mailing list for those bulletins, and that has not happened. So, uh, yes, post-race, I did go and have a bit of a constructive rant. I've done so again here in Bahrain. I suspect things may be changing. Um, but uh, not acceptable. I apologize if it ruined anybody's enjoyment in the race. Um, and I hope we're not going to get that again. Michelin Mon Cup is great racing. But the, um, the, the question uh, here about the, the regulations, you're absolutely right, Nikolai. It's just too complicated. It's supposed to be an entry-level endurance championship. Um, and on one level, it does mean that there's a lot more strategy involved, and I do enjoy that. On another level, if this is look, looking to be a kind of friendly introduction into endurance racing for teams getting onto that first step internationally, then they do need to take a couple of steps away from it and have a look at the rules. I believe it is just too complex. I believe it means that too many teams are making errors that would be avoidable were the rule book not quite so complex. I actually think the rule book for the Michelin Le Mans Cup is more complex to get common sense and read through than the European Le Mans series, the supposed next step on the ladder. Um, so, yeah, apologies if my kind of lack of humour on that occasion um, affected your enjoyment, but uh, I, I'm a firm believer that if we're going to change things that affect the competition and affect the way in which that can be presented to you, the listening and watching audience, that we need explanations of that. It's the same with things like balance of performance, equivalent to technology before. If you're making a change, there's got to be a reason behind the change. And what I've repeatedly asked for is, can we have a note explaining the change and explaining the reason why you've made the change? I don't see that as being a particularly taxing uh, step to take or step to add to the issuing of a bulletin uh, to explain to me, to the teams, by attachment, then to you, the audience, what it is that's changed and why it is it's been changed. Because there presumably has to be a reason. Same with BOP. And I'm sure we'll come on to that one with uh, GT Pro. If we don't, I'll, I'll raise a question myself because it, it, it certainly, it, I know the, uh, the race came a little after we got the questions in. If you've made a change, 
that needs to be explained. It needs to be explained as to why you have made that change. What are you looking to achieve from that change? And why now? Uh, I, I think that would be a very positive move for the whole of our area of the sport MP, which, as everybody knows, sports car racing at times does make it pretty difficult for a, a casual audience to understand. The more that I, as a, as a talking head, can explain and can take people's hands and walk them through the reasons why we've got those rules, the easier it is for people to follow it. Hard to argue. Why don't we go to... Kind of covered off a little bit here. I'm mentioning Daniel in the MLMC. Do you want well, to the, grab... I will grab that because it's, a, it's, a, it's pertinent to another point. Daniel, uh, if, if you want to lob that question my way. Of course. Daniel says... Daniel, who puts together our list of questions each week now, by the way. Thank you again, Daniel. Does do the ASO need to look at the race length for the MLMC to either eliminate the extra LMP3 pit stop due to the fuel consumption issues of the Nissan engines, reducing the race length, or make the stop more meaningful by increasing the race length? And why does the MLMC always give me a headache after watching it while other series don't? I do love the fact that Knowing how obscure sports car racing can be, Graham, I love that we're opening the yep. show with a deep dive on the Michelin Le Mans Cup. Because for folks just <laughs> wanting to like, hear about IMSA or the WC, their eyes are probably rolling in the back of their heads. If not, they've already hit stop. But hey, whatever. We don't care. We do well, this for us and you. Uh, well, there's a reason why this is pertinent. There's a reason why I've asked you to, to love the question my way. Because Daniel has kind of stumbled into something, which, again, I'll have to write about this in the in the days to come. And the answer is there will not be, as I understand it, um, an opportunity to remove that uh, extra pit stop. That was introduced with the, uh, the advent of the 2020 regulations for LMP3. These are new upgraded cars. Uh, with new aero, new safety uh, features, and in particular, a new uh, upgraded 5.6-litre Nissan engine. And what uh, you'll recall, MP and, and listeners, uh, had been missed, and it genuinely was missed, is the 5.6-litre engine is probably going to consume more fuel than the 5-litre engine, and it turned out that they couldn't make the race distance on one fuel stop. So a mandatory fuel stop in the last 20 minutes of the race for the uh, European Le Mans series before the uh, Michelin Le Mans Cup was indeed introduced. Now, my understanding is we were getting pretty close to the point with uh, some of the work going on with Orica, who look after this powertrain, where that might have been dispensed with. However, there is another change coming next season. That changes to the uh, full renewable fuel um, that's going to be standard across the ACO's platforms, uh, So, which is very good. This is the one that's produced from wine waste, um, which has its own kind of subtext of hilarity in it. The problem, as with very many non-immediately hydrocarbon-based fuels, is the calorific value of that fuel is lower. What does that mean? It means that you need more of it to produce the same energy, um, which, by the way, means that you turn back the clock in terms of the fuel stops again. So it remains to be seen what knock-on effect that's going to have in terms of the WC and the ELMS with uh, the GTs and with the LMP2s, and for that matter, with the uh, with the hypercars. But my understanding is the cars will need physically more in volume 
mass uh, of the new fuel to produce the same energy and therefore will need more of that fuel and will definitely need to, to still have a second fuel stop for Michelin Le Mans Cup, where I believe it's being introduced to. So the answer there is it opens up another question for next season, which we don't yet have the answer to. What's the knock-on effect of that fuel going to have in terms of stint length for the remainder of the sports car firmament? Mm. See what else here. Do we want to go to uh, at underscore Ameros? Curious on the GT3 side of our our encyclopedic dive into the Mission Le Mans Cup. <laughs> uh, curious about what's in the future. Tell us about that uh, the well, GT side there. After mentioning yeah, very do. disappointing three full time entries towards the end of the season. For- very disappointing. Um, I think there's lessons there for LMEM. They've simply got to go and sell it. There's no shortage of GT3 cars out there. I don't think there's any shortage of people who would actually quite enjoy coming to race in the Michelin Mon Cup, but they've got to hear about it. And I'm afraid that means that the uh, LMEM have got to get commercial on this one. They really do need to get out there and sell the product they've got. I'm not aware that they are currently doing that. And that, in part, is because the grids have been pretty full. Um, they've been pretty full uh, right, right up and across the board. We'll have full grids next year in uh, WC. I've no doubt about that. I'm sure it's going to be the same in the European Le Mans series. There's a very good take-up of LMP3 cars in Michelin Le Mans Cup, but GT3, of course, the principal marketplace there is elsewhere, usually in SRO land, but also with things like GT Open, etc. across Europe. And to be blunt, the uh, LMEM who run that championship need to find somebody and incentivize them to get on the phone and start to network and attract more GT3 cars. There's a bit of good news already. We already had confirmed a two-car Aston Martin effort uh, to add to uh, the grid next season with Bullet Racing, who uh, pre-pandemic planned to bring a Bentley. That plan has obviously gone uh, west and instead of that it's going to be two aston martins but i do think that's something particularly as we're coming into this gt3 era in uh acr wheels racing in a couple of years time where they need to change the plan three cars in a class that has got hundreds of active cars across europe is not good enough i hope someone has asked the question as to why um because the answer i think is a pretty clear one it's because no one's gone out there to make it more than three. Uh, and I genuinely don't think that's, uh, the, in this uh, day and age, a particularly difficult task to achieve. Yes, there are still logistical problems. Yes, there are still health control problems. But if the International GT Open, a second-tier championship in Europe, can consistently attract five, six, seven, eight guest entries to add to an albeit very small core entry, I see absolutely no reason why the Michelin Le Mans Cup, with all that the ACO have got to offer as incentives, including the road to Le Mans, uh, shouldn't do the same. So that's that's my answer on that one. Why don't we go to Mark Urban? Says, "Hey Graham, a little taken aback by the large crash in the front stretch of the ELMS finale at Portimao. Mainly the seemingly slow reaction of safety crews. Says the destroyed LMP3 car sat." For seemingly forever, the driver climbed out on their own, clearly a bit stricken. Is this something to be concerned about? Or is it just uh, a fine, different way of doing things at European circuits? 
or had the driver signaled they were fine and thus no help arrived? Um, I, I, I don't disagree with you, Mark. I sat watched and was surprised and concerned at the time, the reaction time. Portimo not normally like that at all. Usually very, very well drilled at responding. It is a matter I intended to speak to Eduardo Freitas about. There was no chance to do that post-race. I've seen him briefly uh, here in Bahrain. I will take the opportunity uh, to to ask him. Of course, Eduardo, not only a highly experienced FIA uh, race director and uh, LMBM's race director for European Le Mans Series, Michelin Le Mans Cup and Asian Le Mans Series, but also uh, someone who has uh, spent a lot of his career um, adding uh, to the, the the facilities and the push behind uh, what was the post-economic crisis recovery at Portimao was intensely proud that they'd attracted um, you know the post-pandemic uh, Portuguese Grand Prix was part of the race control team for that Grand Prix uh, and I'm sure he will tell me if there is anything to be concerned about I did share your concern uh, for those that didn't see it this was uh, Memo Rojas coming through the final turn at Portimao, and that is a high-speed downhill right-hander. And the uh, something failed. They, they believe the wheel nut failed on that car. And this was an Orica 07, an LMP2 car at high speed, lost the left rear wheel. That sent Memo into a multiple 360-degree spin uh heading towards the pit wall from the outside of the final turn. That spin went on for a long time. And, of course, people are checking up behind him, checking up behind him. That included two LMP3 uh, cars, one of which made it through the closing gap between the pit wall and the Orica. The other was Andreas Lascaratos, Greek driver, in the AIM-1 Velorba Corsa car. And I think it's I mean, it, speaking to Andreas, uh, albeit in a correctly mildly shocked uh, state post-race he felt that his uh, his choice at that point was hit the orica or go down pit lane at high speed and potentially hurt somebody there uh, i think the reality is and i can see why this would happen his uh, attention was taken by the still pretty rapidly spilling orica and his decreasing opportunity to actually get through safely on track and what he failed to notice until it was way too late, was the fact that he was in the danger zone for hitting the end of the pit wall. He hit it with pretty major force and ripped the entire right side off the car. Happily, they built those LMP3 tubs very, very safely indeed, and he got out with, other than feeling very battered and very bruised, I'm sure, no major injuries. But yes, absolutely, uh, that's a matter that I'm sure... Eduardo will tell me, probably privately, um, that there was either a reason behind it uh, or indeed that there's uh, matters to be discussed to make sure it doesn't happen again. Well, we go to Pumpkin one, kind of, sort of, with the numbers one instead of I and all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, let's see, got to go to the ELMS race on Sunday. And disappointed to see maybe a couple hundred fans in attendance, Graham. Yep. How can this be yep. viable for the track to host events with so few spectators? Because ultimately, uh, in the current climate, it's not being hosted as a spectator event. They, they, they are 
um, how can I put they're facilitating spectators to come. There is some degree of promotion for that. It's fair to say that there is still, uh, I think in certain areas of the world, um, there is still a reticence to actually come to a, any kind of major live event. Uh, Portimao, by the way, uh, the circuit, if you've not got your own transport, private car, is very difficult to get to by public transport. It's some way off the beaten track. That's another uh, thing as well. It was also a very warm weekend, and my guess is that may have put off some families, uh, that it was baking hot, and that might have actually uh, put off some families bringing small children. Um, paddock not open to the public as well. That's another part of um, the the kind of uh, you know steering people away from uh, going to these events. It's great that we're beginning to see the doors opening again. I think it's going to take some time to get people back in real numbers. We did have people at Spa. Uh, there were a reasonable number there, not vast numbers, but there never are really vast numbers at European Le Mans series. That's in the hands of two parties really isn't it it's the people that promote the events and the people out there listening to podcasts like this that just have to make the decision i'm going to go to the races not watch it on youtube not listen to that cultured witty uh, you know i i, I think uh, utter star that is uh, out there in uh, motorsport broadcasting Eurosport, the Eurosport, and, uh, Eurosport <laughs> and, and then um, yeah, you've got to make a decision to go and I think people will come back to that I'm hoping we're going to start to see that ramping up next year but it's going to take some time it's going to take some time simple as that if you know if, if you live in a world where we are still being encouraged to wear masks uh, on public transport in public places <sighs> I can understand why people would would be reticent about going to anything that is promoted as a mass attendance event. I get it. I do. I think it's going to take some time. It's a perfectly fair question. Let's go to right turn lever to close this yep. category. Last attempt. I like that kind of a passive aggressive open to the submission. Ooh. Implies, without saying... There were previous attempts. It could be his first and last, but we, we assume this was submitted previously and we didn't get it. Are there concerns uh, over, say, measures against in the thinking to prevent works bronze drivers and manufacture teams to flood the future WC Le Mans 24 GTE field, inadvertently repelling the actual amateurs financing the body of the field deep insights well, needed indeed so for, for, first things first i think this kind of talks to what we've already heard from sro about overlaying their own decisions on selected driver rankings um to suit their own products and i don't disagree with them um i think a massive opportunity was missed in 2020 by the fia and it's an fia uh it's an FIA system that is at the core of this, the driver ranking system, the bronze, silver, gold, platinum. For me, we had effectively something like six months where there was no major uh, motorsport event taking place that had public attendance. That meant that a fair amount of resource, 
human resource at the FIA wasn't doing what it would normally do. Now, I'm not underestimating the fact there were other things to do, but I do know that uh, as in common with an awful lot of organizations, a lot of people that were simply sent home. Simple as that. People were not working. There are th things you could do from distance. Reviewing a procedure, a policy, a system is one of them. And I'm not aware that they did with this one. And I'm just increasingly concerned what we've got is a system that is out of kilter with two things. The regulations that apply in the major championships that use this system and the business of motorsport. It, can't, it feels at the moment as if we're putting the car before the horse that driver rankings have now basically the thing that drives the shape of the business. And absolutely, there is a sizable chunk of the time and resource uh, that goes into developing a team is around trying to second-guess those regulations, second-guess those rankings, find a way around that. It's why we've got multiple... Um, young teenagers uh, in things like the Michelin Le Mans Cup this year. 16-year-olds um, coming straight out of karting because they could get to be a bronze-ranked driver. And there is an element where that's neither smart nor is it fair. It's certainly not fair against guys who are funding quite often the entire car and team in other teams who would correctly expect and assume that they'd be paying that money and spending that time in a formula where they've got a reasonable chance of competing against their peers. Uh, it's why the LMP2 Pro-Am Cup works, because the bronze drivers like the fact that all of a sudden they've got something where they can compete against equals. And by that, I mean, we're not talking about, you know, the whippet like uh, frame of a professional race driver we're talking about someone who's been successful in life in business and has opted to spend some of that time resource and passion on funding a motorsport effort lmp3 at the moment and certainly in certain areas with gt as well we've got some bronze drivers who, where the bronze has been polished to such a level you could almost believe it was almost gold and that is a source of concern. It's something that I know that teams and drivers have lobbied hard uh, in the LMEM paddock. I'm not aware at the moment that they feel able to be able to respond to those uh, those calls. The only way they'll be able to do that, because I don't think they're going to put an overlay on the FIA system uh, for LMEM racing, principally because of the partnership with the FIA and WC that then tumbles down through the, the pyramid, the only way they can do it is by writing something into their own regulations. And they should. It's as simple as that. They should. They should do it quickly. They should give the teams the best possible opportunity to come forward with a mix in their team structure that is competitive and fair to the rest of the teams on that grid. At the moment, we've got great racing, but we're beginning to see some of those gentlemen drivers lose a little bit of heart that they've got any chance whatsoever of being anything remotely competitive. And there we go. I'm yeah, sure I think. Right, well, hey, you're the boss. You are the yeah, boss. So you it. tell me where we're going, what we're doing. 
Well, let's let's kick it off uh, with a couple of questions about Andretti Autosport's future plans. I mean, it's been a busy time in Andretti Autosport over the last few days. Um, Matthew Lyson says any rumours about that deal? It was it now says not going ahead. Could we see them fielding something like an LMP2 next year in preparation for maybe LMDH? So, I think the way that I have things stacked up sequentially for Andretti Autosport is there was significant progress made. I can't tell you if it ever got close to signing anything, but I know that there was a lot of time invested in the possibility of Andretti Autosport becoming AAA in LMDH. Uh, Andretti Autosport Audi. Um, there were Ooh. significant talks uh, between both sides. Well aware that of all the teams that had become aligned with LMDH manufacturers, Andretti Autosport was the one that stood out, Graham, as the, I know they're fishing, I know they're trying to make something happen, why has nobody snapped them up yet? And so... Uh, that broke down, then uh, learned a little bit more about how Audi was indeed no longer planning to do an American uh, LMDH program. And so I think with that, I think Andretti Autosport's place as being one of the top unsigned teams for a manufacturer went from glaringly obvious, it's going to happen with somebody Oh, looks like it's going to be Audi. Oh, now it's not going to be Audi. To they're still there as yep. the best, easiest, readiest, whatever you might want to put it. Uh, someone that is free and available to do such a thing. I think it's just a case of waiting to see which manufacturer or manufacturers decide to come in next that do not have their own factory presence and competition uh, solution you know, in-house per se. So I don't know who that would be. Would that be a McLaren? Would that be a run down the lists of the limited number of names we've heard that could still be kicking the good old tires about coming into LMDH? So I think, and uh, Michael Andretti has not returned my last two calls uh, this past week, uh, but I'll keep trying. I think the LMDH thing not happening and the possibility of something happening in Formula One, I think there was a bit of a sequencing here where one fell through, which led to making the next option, that being Formula One, a high priority to pursue. Not saying like an Audi LMDH thing fell through, and then the next day he's like, well, let's go try and do Formula One. I'm sure that there had been conversations going on for however long, as to whether they could get into F1, but I do have to believe that if an LMDH program went forward, I'd have a hard time seeing how they would expand to do that and also take on a Formula One team. So I think there's some connectivity here. Just hoping to learn a little bit more about that from Michael whenever he's ready to talk about this stuff. So similar question from Ricky Sagata on that one as well. And the, the thing I'd say here, MP, and it's not directly related to Andretti, but it might be, is 
I am sensing a bit of a change amongst a number of the potential players for LMDH around the world. And that is the the headlong rush for a deal for 2023 appears to be petering out. And there's a lot more people now who are in that kind of community talking about 2024 or even later. So um, maybe that could be something to kind of think about, particularly when we know that the likes of McLaren, Lamborghini, and others uh, like to be in this kind of second wave. Let's move on uh, to Andre Good. There's no one for you. It's Olivier Pla, says Andre, uh, officially done at Myershank Racing after being left out of the lineup for Petit Le Mans. If so, where does he go for 2022? Yes, officially done. Known about this for a little while, and it's not specific to our good friend, Mr. Fast Frenchman, Mr. Plaw, uh, there will be 100% turnover in terms of the full-time driver lineup at Meyershank Racing next year in the good old IMSA DPI category. Mentioned it, written it, all kind of edited it uh, about Dane Cameron returning to Roger Penske's home for Wayward Boys. Uh, <laughs> Dane will be headed back. He'll be part of the uh, Porsche driver program there uh, with their new LMDH effort coming. So he's heading back home there, basically a one-year respite. Um, Known all along, I shouldn't say all along, but known for a good while that there was a desire to make a complete change, knowing that Dane would be leaving. Well, uh, this season has not been as awesome as they would hope. And so I know that Olivier has struggled a little bit uh, had a couple of events that just seemed like things were not clicking particularly well for him with the car. I know that there's uh, another media outlet that seemed really heavily invested on turning this into some sort of TMZ drama negativity fest, but that's frankly uh, just a manifestation of, of who they are. Um, this just wasn't what they'd hoped it would be not the first time it's happened in the sport goodness sake you can run down i think just about every major team at some point in time it's brought on a new driver hope that things would work out well and they didn't and olivier certainly was not unfamiliar to shank having uh, been there in the past for uh, for some work as well but just didn't work out and rather than try and fight it and see if well let's try another year we're kind of no longer in those times it's another modern adjustment, Graham, where the willingness to give it the uh, good old college try again, and well, maybe this was just an aberration. You do that with someone who is a, you know, many, many time champion, big, big name. You go, okay, this person has earned the right through their career and overall CV to get that second chance. I'm not saying that'll. Mr. Plaw is not someone who doesn't deserve a second chance, but not someone with five IMSA titles, five WEC titles, a giant name that a Meyer Shank racing would say, oh my goodness, we cannot possibly think of uh, going away from him. So I think there's just a lot of things coming together that made it pretty easy to say, we're going to go in a quote, different direction having signed Elio Castroneves uh, makes it even easier. 
someone who knows the Acura somewhat well. Did okay in it from what I heard. Um, kidding aside, they're going to have both Elio at their disposal next season, Simon Pagino next season. So I think you have uh, half of the Daytona lineup for the number 60 car, but they are indeed looking at a number of drivers to fill both slots. As for where Mr. Pla goes, I don't know. I really don't know. I would be knowing what is taking place next year, Graham, in terms of DPI. Yep. I don't know other than say a JDC motorsports. I can't think of many teams that would have a space available to hire a driver and have that driver be Mr. Plaw. So I'm curious if we're going to hear about him in some form of WEC, ELMS, or similar type role um, back home in Europe. Okay. Let's move on to GTD and GTD Pro. Clement Rosin says, is there any news of a Mercedes GTD Pro effort for next year? Their factory drivers were impressive at the Rolex 24 this year. It would be great to see them more often in IMSA competition. Have heard nothing on this front. Uh, how's this? Could we see a Mercedes in GTD Pro next year? I've heard that that is possible. Mm-hmm. I have not heard it being a factory-based uh, initiative. And that, Clement, is where GTD Pro, I think, is just going to be a bit of a unique thing for us to adjust to. We have the word pro attached to GTD. Sorry, as my cat Rosie just woke up, freaked out, and half fell off of the uh, little crate that she and Rocky sleep on. She does this all the time, by the way. She'll be, there are folks honking horns going by, alarmed by Rosie's uh, reaction. She will do this. There, There is genuine bloodletting that takes place when Rosie is sleeping near me not half the time, but like 10% of the time. I don't know if she's having nightmares or if she is having dreams of herself being a big cat on the savannah chasing caribou or whatever else and attacking them. <laughs> but she will be just dead asleep. And I don't mean for a couple of minutes. I mean for like an hour or two, like on the couch. She'll sleep between my wife and I, but closer to me to get warmth and heat. And all of a sudden, brother... Like a NHRA dragsters reaction time of point zero zero six seconds. She will go from the tree being red to green and she will just go and like flip sideways, claws out and extended, reaching for whatever is going to give her traction to launch off of the line. And she's gone. And we have no like just happened here because she's dead silent to the point of where you almost forget she's there and then you know she's there because she has just dug both of her front claws uh into my leg ripped herself forward and is gone from sight and in again a fraction of a second so anyways that just happened while sleeping next to rocky who just more or less shat himself because he was sleeping well and uh yeah so just sharing, this is kind of normal for us, but 
if you listen to the show, yeah. you know that my cats or uh, Graham's dog, they're, they're regular participants, uh, usually I, when we're not aware of it or expecting it. I've, I've got a cat exactly like that, my friend. But uh, okay, so yeah. that's Mercedes. Yeah, so what, just uh, back to sure. that quickly. Uh, I think, sure. Lamont, we just need to adjust to the fact that while we have the word pro attached to GTD, it implies or it makes me think I always automatically go to factory. I see pro, I think factory. It's just something where I have to keep reminding myself that no, this is just a vehicle for any and all who want to come uh, to field a fully pro line up. And so for what I have heard, I've heard that a Mercedes could be there and it could be in GTD pro. You would rightfully assume or expect there to be a name one or two factory uh, Merc GT drivers to come along for whether it's the Enduros or maybe one for full season pairing, something like that, some sort of technical support, but I have not heard it uh, as being a true actual um, Mercedes effort. And so I think we're just going to have to be prepared for more of those. Oh, cool. So-and-so is going to be okay. there with a car to, you know, name whatever team with whatever manufacturer. And you go, all right, yeah, of course there will be links to the factory, but I think it's in many cases, Graham going to look a little bit more like, uh, we see in GTE am where again, kind of forget the driver lineup a little bit, but you know, you can see the, the shadows of the factory support there. And maybe again, there's, uh, some factory driver allocation. Um, but for the most part, uh, it's not going to be uh, a thing where every entry that shows up is truly going to have that uh, manufacturer um, investment behind it. Excellent. Uh, on a similar vein, Sean Corbell asked about Rizzi Competizione. Anything from them on GTD Pro or anywhere else for that matter? Have not heard anything here. That's not to say, though, Sean, that there is nothing here. It just means that I am making another note here so I don't forget that I need to reach out and ask. Um, it's a great okay. question. Uh, I would hate to see any GT evolution here in the U S without there being a receive aspect to it. So knowing that they have indeed done some GT three stuff, I'm hoping this is an option, but I do need to reach out and ask. Okay. Uh, John Richter, uh, asked about an expected car count for Petit Le Mans. And he says, it's great to hear that WeatherTech Proton is adding a second RSR to the GTLM team. Certainly, when I spoke to uh, the Proton Competition team at Portimao, uh, there was broad confirmation that was going to happen. I know there's another media outlet that has poured a degree of cold water on that from the same source within a week. Uh, so whether or not things have changed, I think we'll, we, we will hashtag wait and see um, but when we actually get the entry list out there. But certainly the prospect was that there would be a second WeatherTech uh, branded Proton operated full pro car in this case uh, for Petit Le Mans in the GTLM class. Um, whether or not it actually eventually appears for whatever reason, we'll wait and see. But uh, be assured the story you read on Daily Sports Car um, was sourced correctly from someone who most certainly would know. Uh, so, but uh, as for the overall grid numbers, MP, any ideas? 47 to 48 is what I 
am going to bet money on. Will okay. that be higher? I hope so. Um, yeah, I hope so. If it's closer to 50, that will make me very happy. I can't tell you exactly how many are going to turn up, though. I do know that there's still some fairly decent who might drive this, who might drive that in LMP3. So that's the one class right now where I'm just a little bit unsure as to how populous it is going to be. So it makes it hard for me to suggest what the exact number is going to be. And with well, that... we know we've got... Yep. Go ahead. Sorry, I know we know we've got two or three additional cars for this race, with Fast MD Racing, United Autosports, Win Autosport, all adding cars for Petit Le Mans. But yep. uh, yeah, final numbers. Yeah. Well, we've got about five minutes to go, my friend. Okay. Where do you want to go to uh, to cover off? Uh, there's one question that's been highlighted here by Daniel. It comes from Stephen Gates. It's in the general, the Hair General. Uh, uh, area and it's a question to you marshall is there any do- updates on how vic elford is doing i know you might be bound by what you can and can't say so apologies if you can't but if not please pass on uh, mine and plenty of other sport car fans best wishes the next time you speak to him hopefully he is kicking cancer's ass any any update on quick vic have been meaning to reach out to him Stephen, and still need to do so i know that he has dealt with multiple cancer attacks over the last 20-ish years. Knowing his age, I'm not 100% sure what expectation is held here. Uh, I know that he injured was injured from a fall broke his leg uh knowing how heavily that impacted him his ability to then get to events uh, attending events being a paid uh freaking rock star at a variety of vintage events and porsche related events and and whatnot I mean, that is how he has supported himself for many years, basically just being Vic, a life goal for sure, right? Just being paid to be you. And I know that, of course, there are plenty of celebrities in the world and and athletes who are beloved and get paid to go and do all kinds of things. Just saying, Vic, although a man who's possessing more talent than almost anyone ever in motor racing, among the most normal ordinary types you'd ever come across right fascinating engaging all kinds of beautiful flowery things we can say about him but sitting in a room among if you just had a room filled with motor racing stars and legends and vic was there he would probably be the most overlooked person and I'm talking from all forms of the sport, not just sports car racing. He would probably be sitting thoroughly enjoying himself in the corner, having a conversation with his wife or someone else that he struck up that conversation with. I just want to share this though, that personality wise, he is not someone who cares the least bit about fame, does not put on any kind of airs. And so I just share this because 
his ability to be out and be himself and earn a living being himself, it's been a fascinating thing. And it's been a wonderful thing for someone who has never really tried to put the big spotlight on himself. And so knowing all these things, it's been a bit sad, Stephen, knowing that later in life, definitely the eve of his life, he's had some pretty serious health concerns. Yeah. Someone who circling back to that being in a room of of a hundred motor racing stars and legends and and possibly being the most overlooked among them i don't know if it fits anything that he wants or needs but much like my late colleague robin miller who in the last six months or so of his life really felt the weight and value of his contributions to this world or to the world that we uh, knew him for um, i do wonder and I, I don't have any knowledge, you know, as to whether Vic has a day or a decade or 20 years left to live. Just saying, I don't have any of that knowledge yet. I'll reach out and see how he's doing. But I, I am struck by the fact that, man, I would hate for his life to end with him still being among the lesser known, lesser heralded uh, among those legends and heroes. So like my pal Robin Miller, who was just filled with love and, and recognition um, in the last couple months of his life, and he got to see it and feel it, uh, I, I do think and I do wonder about how such a thing might be made possible for Vic. And with that, my friend... How are we doing, Tyler? Have you got time for more boys? If you want to, we can absolutely do one more, and then we'll say farewell. We'll do one quick one. It comes from Jess Chileski. It says, Graham Marshall is a long-time IndyCar fan. You are a fan of sports car racing. He says, besides this awesome podcast, and yes, you're entirely right, Jeff, it is awesome. <laughs> uh, what are some resources I can use to learn about the different organizations and classes? I would suggest just this, which is there are a lot of fine, particularly news and features-based resources around. Uh, on the podcasting front, do take a look at some of Marshall's archive. Take a look through. There's some fantastic IndyCar stuff there, uh, but for sure there's some really cool sports car stuff as well. So if you like podcasts, go back and have a li listen to some of the uh, feature interviews that uh, MP has done down through the years he's been doing the Marshall Pre podcast. As far as the kind of um, sports car one-on-one side of, side of things, there are a few bits and pieces on daily sports car. Uh, I plan to do more, and once we've finished our kind of uh, our, our travels at the end of this Bahrain race, there'll be more time to do some of the things we've discussed on this show. Uh, but keep an eye out and uh, just see what takes your fancy from race.com, from dailysportscar.com. But in particular, as a, as a podcast consumer, have a look at uh, look back not just over the last month or six months or twelve months, years. Marshall's output, and I'm sure you will find things that will add immeasurably to the pleasure you can take in the sport. That'll do us for this week, um, and thanks so much again for joining us as listeners and as uh, question setters for Marshall and myself for the Week in Sports Cars. Thanks again to Daniel Summerskill for uh, compiling the questions this week. Next weekend, uh, we'll have the finale, season finale for the FI World Endurance Championship. Look out for the call for questions going out midweek ahead of, I hope, an opportunity to record around this same time next weekend. For now, though, 
from Marshall Pruitt on the US side of the pond, from me, Graham Goodwin, on this side of the pond and then a bit further at the moment in Bahrain. Uh, and with thanks, of course, to Cooper Tyres, to the Justice Brothers and to uh, TorontoMotorsports.com. This has been the Weekend Sportscast podcast, part of the Marshall Pruitt podcast, and we will see you next week. <laughs>